You're listening to the Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. Hello and welcome along to the Straight to Video Podcast. Hope everyone is doing great as we get close to Christmas Day, if you're listening to this when it was released. It's funny, I was speaking to my wife Jane this week and me being someone who loves to reminisce and remember back in the day kind of stuff, I realised I don't remember many actual Christmas days from when I was a kid. Am I alone in this one? Um, I would have thought with how excited I used to be about Christmas that each and every single one would be burned into my memory, but for some reason it isn't. I remember the Christmas when I got my BMX bike, a rally night burner for anyone who's interested, and I also remember the one where I snuck downstairs super early and opened all my presents alone as I genuinely thought that would be a good idea as I could let my mum sleep in. Not my finest idea if I'm honest. How about you guys? Do you remember much about Christmas Day when you were growing up? Stan Bush is today's guest on the Straight to Video podcast. I've spoken a lot in the past in band interviews and when I've been talking about the musical element of Straight to Video that when I was a kid most of the early albums I brought were movie soundtracks. This was before you could buy a VHS tape movie to keep forever, so owning the soundtrack was for me kind of like owning a piece of that film you'd seen in the cinema or if you'd rented it from the video shop. I think the very first album I brought with my own money was the Flash Gordon soundtrack and others such as Ghostbusters, Top Gun and Rocky IV all became firm favourites. I honestly believe it was the soundtracks that kind of trained my ears to great melodic rock music and what put me on the path to having such a passion and love for the great pop rock choruses and bands of the late 80s. Stan Bush was one of the go-to guys of that era, along with songs on the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies Bloodsport and Kickboxer, I rented the crap out of those films back in the day, and also the brilliant Charlie Sheen film The Wraith. Stan's most famous contribution was the song The Touch, which is featured on the Transformers animated movie from back in 1986. I saw that film at the old Ripley Hippodrome Cinema on a Saturday matinee and I loved it. The Touch is a song that kind of defines the blueprint of a fist-pumping, feel-good rock anthem and you can't help but fall in love with it. This song has followed Stan since the 80s and seen him even get the call to perform at Transformers conventions and it was resurrected briefly in the latest Transformers Bumblebee movie which I thought was a really nice tip of the hat. Stan is still incredibly busy in music and has just released the album Dare to Dream which is his 14th studio album and once again he continues to deliver those great 80s styled anthems which have become his trademark. To keep up to date with Stan, you can visit stanbush.com or find him active on all the main social media platforms. Thanks for all your support of this podcast. We'll be hitting episode 50 on January the 1st, so I'm excited to start the year with that. I plan to make next year bigger and better, but in the meantime, though, sit back and enjoy my straight-to-video chat with the mighty Stan Bush. Just kids in a rock and roll band We played like no tomorrow Didn't turn out like we planned But have a time slips away Though the memories may fade
There we are. How you doing, Stan? Doing great. Coming through loud and clear. <laughs> yeah, you too. Right. If it's cool with you, I'd love to go um, way back even before your song The Touch became a part of your life and talk a little bit about where you're from and your early introductions to music. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Am I correct? You're from Florida originally. Right. Grew up in Florida. My sort of hometown, I was born in Orlando, but moved around a lot when I was young, but then uh, ended up in Gainesville. That's kind of my hometown, right. Gainesville, Florida. Are you from a pretty big family? You got brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Two brothers and a sister. My parents were, you know, really cool with the whole music thing. They support it you know and had we even rehearsed at the house and wow. they would come to our gigs and it was fun yeah we played like school dances and things and uh i was in bands all through school yeah. and after that you know we started playing clubs around the south what was the kind of the first music that really made you sit up and think what the heck is this the beatles the beatles of course i was think that was true with most everybody in in my generation it was just you know, life-changing. It was yeah. uh, awesome. Then later, you know, like got into stuff like Zeppelin and I always loved R&B stuff too. The The radio back then, they played everything. So you'd hear Jimi Hendrix and then you'd hear, you know, some kind of Temptation song or something, you know, or Diana Ross yeah. or somebody, you know what I mean? It was great. How did your parents react when like the Beatles exploded? Was they like, what's this? This is crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, they loved it. it. Okay. Yeah. I remember my mom came in the bedroom and said, oh, you got to see this. And it was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. But wow, that performance. That that that's the one, yeah. I was like on the floor. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. It was it was great. I want to hold your hand, you know. It's it crazy, like looking back how kind of in a way tame that was. But back then it was just like groundbreaking. Yeah, right, right. Them long-haired beetles. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, yeah, people reacting and it was funny. How long after that did you start wanting to actually play music yourself? Was it instant, like grab a tennis racket in front of the mirror or? It was within a year or two. Uh, my older brother, he started playing guitar. He showed me a few chords and uh, he later switched to bass. So, but we were in bands together. And oh, wow. My sister is younger, but she, you know, she was like the singer and in the band after I uh, moved away from Florida, you know, she, uh, she kept on my brother and sister and same, same guys I came up playing with really how easy was it to find like like-minded musicians around florida was there a bit of a scene yeah there was definitely a scene yeah we we kind of all knew each other i mean gainesville had a lot of big people musicians that came out of there um you know stephen stills went to the same high school tom petty of course and uh the allman brothers those guys and uh you know of course the eagles uh don felder and bernie ledden were from gainesville right wow that's just like an endless list of like all these massive superstars. It really is. It's And uh, I, I was friends with Bernie Ledden's younger brother. We were the same age and went to school together. And, uh, you know, so it was cool. I mean, I knew Tom Petty back in the day. You know, we, I went to see his band practicing and I played in a few bands with the drummer, Stan That's Lynch. That's insane. You know? He and I still keep in touch a little bit. What about shows coming through towns? I mean, obviously you had like a massive pedigree of musicians. What was it like when they did hometown shows? Was that a huge deal it was yeah it was great i actually went to uh one of the tom petty shows he did in gainesville you know after he was famous and uh it was uh it was cool. a massive homecoming <laughs> gave him a yeah, yeah yeah they gave him a big a big warm welcome so it was cool i mean it was a kind of a music haven there in in uh, florida gainesville's like a college town so it's uh you know, you go 10 miles in, in any direction, you're like in Hicksville, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 <laughs> anyway, it was a cool place to grow up. 
at what point did you start kind of let's say spreading your wings a little was you doing shows with bands which were touring outside or around florida yeah i was playing uh nightclubs mainly in 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 the south anyway a couple of the guys that i knew were they formed a recording group and it sort of formed in colorado boulder colorado and they asked me to join the band and so i migrated out west i, I went to colorado it was almost three years with a couple of the guys from from gainesville that right. i had met there who got me in the band so we rehearsed and recorded and performed in colorado anyway then we got signed to a record deal here in la so that's when we came out here was you kind of touring with that band did somebody from like an a and r hear about you yeah it was that kind of thing the uh, head of a and r for electra asylum records came out and uh signed the band and uh so it was it was cool we got that's uh, that's when we came to la and we did one album the band was originally called Helix, but then we uh, changed the name to Boulder when we got this a deal, you know, and then uh, I could say the band just did the one album and then we kind of broke up. You were just playing guitar in that band though, right? Yeah, there were two singers. I was the sort of second singer. The other guy was the main the main singer in that band. And uh, it was funny because after the the album, you know, kind of came and went. The rest of the guys in the band got offered to tour with Warren Zevon as his backup band. So uh, anyway, th- so they they all left, right? And they were on tour. And so the this guy that was kind of managing us, he had a connection to Electra Asylum Studios, and we did a, a secret album project with myself and just just a solo project, and it, it came out really good. And then I got signed to CBS Records, Columbia Records, uh, at the time, and yeah, that was my first solo deal i got management and then i got a, a got signed to uh actually the president of columbia at the time columbia records he flew out to la to see me and he said i want to see what i'm buying so <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty cool you know and uh that was a great time was that your first time out on to the west coast yeah hadn't been here like i say we, we rented a big house in beverly hills uh with the whole band when we were recording the boulder album and then like i say once that kind of fizzled out uh we were each on our own and i was living in an apartment in hollywood how was your whole reaction to this everything must have just gone next level it was crazy uh like i say i had just i was sort of selling gear to live you know <laughs> <laughs> to pay my rent and doing a few pickup gigs. But, the you know, back then it was, you know, in Hollywood, it's sort of like pay to play. But, they you know, like clubs like the Starwood, you know, they had like Van Halen was playing and bands like that that hadn't made it yet. Wow. And uh, it was a really cool music scene. It was like the Whiskey and the Roxy, of course, are still there. But there were other clubs back then that people played at. That'd be the time of like Gazaris and places like that, I guess. Yes, yes. And Troubadour. Yeah. Amazing. What kind of response did your solo album get? Did you tour on it pretty extensively? Well, the one album I did for for CBS, again, I had the same kind of thing happen as with Boulder, where the head of A&R who who signed me was let go right as my album or just after my album came out. That's like the well-known story, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it happens so much. You know, the person whose pet project it was is no longer there. So you're like, okay. Anyway, so it it sort of went plywood. That's the joke. Instead of platinum. So around the, like the mid '80s, you began to get involved in movie soundtracks. And I've been a hard rock fan for like over 30 years now. And I always say my love of hard rock was kind of kickstarted by being a movie fan and buying the soundtracks. All these great films like Top Gun and Rocky Four, and they all had these great uplifting songs. And I think it kind of trained my ears in a way to loving the Big Hook. Right. Yeah. 
That's what I'm, I love about the 80s, the big hooks, yeah. So for you as someone who made a massive contribution to movie soundtrack songs, I guess you kind of became one of the go-to guys. Was any of your songs kind of specifically written for a film or was you allowed to see a rough cut of a film or anything like that beforehand? Actually, the Jean-Claude Van Damme's first two movies, Kickboxer and Bloodsport was the first one. Those were, I was actually a sort of a hired singer, you know, to come in and sing the songs. Right. And anyway, also, of course, the touch we wrote for, I was on Scott brothers for my second record deal and second solo uh, record deal anyway they they got uh, the touch in an uh, animated film you know the transformers movie the first one and uh there was another song from that album that was in a movie with charlie sheen called the race yep, great film the transformers like later became this big sort of you know big deal and uh you know Anyway, so that touch became more famous as the years went on. At the time, I remember thinking, well, we originally wrote it with the Stallone movie Cobra yeah. in mind, you know, and that it didn't get in that. But uh, it turns out the Transformers became a big phenomenon. You don't know what song it lost out to on Cobra, do you? Because Robert Tepper had a song on there as well, didn't he? There's quite a few big names on that one. Possibly. Yeah, I don't really know. It's one of those things you never hear about till later, you know, what deals were made and who said what. But like I say, the deal with Scotty Brothers kind of kicked everything off. It was funny because after that, that one record I did uh, on Scotty Brothers, then uh, like I say, they, uh, they it sort of took off on its own in Germany. It was released, I think The Touch was released three times as a single. And I came over to Germany and I was like, you know, mobbed by fans. It was yeah. amazing. I uh, Yeah, they had like big photo shoots, like like a three-page photo spread, just like Bon Jovi or somebody, you know. And uh, when I got to Germany, I was like, whoa, you know, people would recognize me on the street and everything. <laughs> That's amazing. I did some, yeah, I did went to uh, Berlin and did some TV show with this big TV personality. He had like a, a variety show, you know, kind of like, I don't know what you'd compare it to now, but but yeah, I was on that show. And uh, but yeah, anyway, so I had success in Japan and as well and uh, England as well. But I think Germany was sort of my main sort of, yeah. first I went over after the publicity tour, I went back over and headlined, uh, well, the second tour was a headline. The first one I opened for Lou Graham, Wow. Who was you know my favorite singer in the world at the time? Yeah. I mean, I Foreigner was amazing. I loved I love the early Foreigner stuff. He was an amazing singer, and uh, so uh, anyway, good guy. We we hung out a bit. So then uh, a couple of years later, I went back and headlined, and then after that, I think I did a tour with Russ Ballard, and there was another tour with uh, Survivor. I was cool. the opening act for them. That was like in 94. So, you know, it was the melodic rock, 80s rock kind of thing was, you know, a smaller sort of, uh, but it still had its avid fans. And so yeah. it was cool to have, to be a part of that. It was, it was enough to keep me going through the, uh, through the nineties. And, you know, and after that, the whole rock thing kind of imploded. The grunge thing came in and people weren't doing the eighties rock anymore for the most part. So it became a, um, a sort of a niche thing more, more so like the melodic rock. And as you know, yeah, you're saying going over to Germany and stuff and seeing the reaction from people. I guess back then pre-internet, you never knew what you was going into. So it was even like, holy crap, where are all these people from? You, there's no way of kind of gauging what the response is going to be. Yeah, it was cool. People, uh, they were very receptive too. It was uh, it was a neat, a neat thing, you know, like a lot of times I think people, well, especially in LA and New York, probably are more sort of jaded and they, you know, it was cool. The other thing too, that I struck me when I'd be performing, like I'd look out and people would know the words to the songs. They were like mouthing the words. It was like, wow, you know, <laughs> how cool is that? How did your um, songwriting partnership with Lenny Macaluso come about? Actually, the head of A&R who produced the album at Scotty Brothers, uh, Richie Wise, 
he had worked with Kiss and did a lot of other things, but he was actually great. Uh, he did a great job on the album, but he was the one who hooked me up with Lenny as a co-writer. Yeah. He hooked me up with a, two or three other writers as well. But yeah, the one with Lenny was like, we wrote still, still right to this day together. And uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's a very, very talented guy. Do you both work in a particular way? You kind of know each other's songwriting quakes so yeah. well nowadays. He's living in Florida. So we, uh, we have to write on the phone or, yeah. or something. <laughs> but that's fine. But I, you know, we could send send an idea, and he'll immediately get it. You know, he, yeah. We, I think we communicate really well. The label Sky Brothers kind of had like a, a pretty big shoe on in in all the soundtrack stuffs. Didn't they do the Rocky soundtracks? Yeah, that was what put them on the map. I guess the original Rocky uh, movie with uh, Survivor and Yeah, I Have a Tiger is still one of my all time favorite of that genre. Yeah, great song. And like on the Wraith soundtrack as well, it's just like these great heavy hitters from like the hard rock and melodic genre. It's just like. Like stacked mm-hmm. from top to bottom with it. It's great. It really is cool. That was a cool thing about those movies too. The story would hinge on the song or whatever and, you know, it would be part of the whole film and, you know, it was very, very cool way to do it. Yeah. I miss those movies. Yeah. And also the style of writing, like you said, the big hook. You hear that song, you walk out of the theater, you're still singing it. That's <laughs> We always used to say, <laughs> I think cool. like you'd go and see a Rocky movie and you'd run home thinking you were training. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember much about The Day You Wrote The Touch? Was it one of those songs that where it kind of happened fairly easily? You hear a lot of stories. People say like the best songs just seem to come out of nowhere and just flow. And like within 30 minutes, they had the structure of the song all good to go. Yeah, that was pretty much how that one came about. Lenny and I sat down with a couple of acoustics and wrote the song in like a day, I think. Yeah. Where does Vince DiCola come into the whole picture? Well, Vince also was, um, you know, part of that whole Scotty Brothers uh, family. Richie had brought him to play some keyboards and also of course he did the scoring you know for Rocky 4 he did the uh, score for the Transformers cartoon movie the animated so uh, yeah that's how we we met Vince it was like extraordinary talent the guy's like amazing player and uh, we, I've kept in touch with Vince I see him you know fairly often we do these Transformers conventions and sometimes perform together And but great guy I just wondering did you and Robert Tepper have any kind of friendly movie soundtrack rivalry back in the day there was never a rivalry we did write together a little bit bit uh, in the 90s. He was kind of writing some country sort of stuff at the time. And uh, we wrote a couple things. But yeah, I always like Robert. Good guy. But no, I don't think there was ever a rivalry. I was going for like a friendly one, really. Oh, you got that film. I wanted that film. Because <laughs> <Something like> <laughs> you both done shows together, right? Didn't you play at the Whiskey one time? Yeah, yeah. We did uh, the Whiskey together, you know, kind of a co-bill. I went on first because I didn't want to play at one in the morning. You know, <laughs> the people that come see me, my friends and whatnot, they're not people that stay up till one in the morning, you know. That seems to be the thing over there. Shows start so, so late. I know, right? And sometimes they have like five bands and it's just a train wreck, you know, trying to get everybody on stage. And but that's the way they do it, those clubs. That'd make a great package tour with you, Robert Tepper, and maybe John Parr or something like that, just doing a whole movie soundtrack tour. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. Like a storyteller's tour or something like that. It'd be great. It really would. Sure, yeah. You've become like an integral part of the Transformers history because of your song. How was it for you, like dipping a toe into that whole convention scene? Was it a bit strange at first? That was awesome. The first one was in 97 and it was myself and Vince. We performed together and uh, it was really cool. The, the fans were great. It was like they loved the songs and the music. And we uh, did a few songs unplugged, acoustic. And Vince did a few things sort of solo 
as well. And, but it went off great. And then after that, there were more conventions during the early 2000s and, and, and onward. Every couple of years, it seemed like we'd do some, another one. And it's pretty cool because, like, you know, you go to Transformers, there'll be like thousands of people. And, oh, that's Stan Bush. <laughs> you know, I go anywhere else, I can't get arrested, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's really cool. They're very wonderful people. You know, the fans I've met, they're all like super great. There was one I did in the UK in uh, just like three years ago or something, TF Nation. I think Vince was supposed to do that one this year, but it got canceled because of the COVID. It seems like it's a song that just keeps on giving back to you and having continued resurgences from appearing in Boogie Nights in the 90s and it's been in the Goldbergs TV show, which is a great, really great show. And most recently in the fairly recent Bumblebee movie, which I thought was like a lovely tip of the hat how they included that right? in there. Could you have ever imagined your song crossing so many decades? No, I didn't ever imagine that. It is pretty cool to be known for a song like that. You know, it, it's funny because that it kind of kicked off this whole um, this whole like positive rock kind of thing, and uh, it became sort of my thing. You know, writing songs about hope and believing in yourself and that kind of thing. It's a uh, it's uh, it's really cool stuff. Motivational yeah. rock, I guess. <laughs> so your songs have been featured on all these great films. Did you ever get the chance to go to any premieres? Yeah, I went to the Transformers uh, animated the preview for that, the premiere rather, and uh, let's see. Of course, the um, oh, the John Claude Van Damme kickboxer yeah. went to that premiere too. That was pretty cool. Was that all out in Hollywood? Yeah, Hollywood. What other kind of films do you enjoy? Do you have a particular love for any kind of film? I love movies like you know action movies and you know that kind of stuff. It seemed like Mission Impossible, that kind of thing. You know, it's like uh, those are great. They still have the uh, and the James Bond. You know, that stuff is always great. You have the new album Dare to Dream out now. Um, do you kind of still approach your songwriting in the same way as you always have, or as obviously recordings change quite a bit over the years do you still have the same starting point yeah i uh, usually get something that's it's like a, if I consider it to be a really strong chorus, you know, and uh, sort of work backwards. One of the things I, I think I do quite a bit is change keys. And I love that. It changes like it goes to a new a new thing and you're like, whoa, you know, that, where yeah. did that come from? I, I, I try really hard not to be sort of predictable in that. Finally, you tease the new album with the single The 80s, which is great. It has a great Def Leppard feel to it. And there's elements of Van Halen's dreams in there. I'm a big Van Halen fan. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a dreams kind of vibe to it. And you your son is in the video, right? Yeah, that my son plays a young me. How old is he? And is he a fan of your career? Does he appreciate the greatness of the massive songs of the eighties? <laughs> I think so. I he, he talking about the eighties. I mean, you know, it's like here, put on this leather jacket and these boots, you know. <laughs> but he, he he looked the yeah. part. He he did. You know, had longish hair and uh, yeah. No, it was cool. It was uh, he had fun doing it. I rented a VW bus to be sort of a time machine, and you could get the nostalgia part. And uh, of course, it it was intercut cut with the footage of myself and my band performing and but yeah I, I think the video came out real good Zeke ever dive back into your career at all and get you to tell stories about back in the day or anything you know he's he's into his own thing he's uh he's great though he's 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 doing real well he went to San Diego State works at a biotech thing and but he plays guitar and, and sings and you know he's he's a he's a musician so does he introduce you to any bands a bit yeah he listens to pop more more so than and you know but uh no it's really cool and the other video we did off the new album was that one Born to Fight and that was I got Lenny Macaluso well first of all Netflix contacted me about writing a uh, a song to feature their 
two most famous or most popular uh, anime shows, Baki and Kengen Ashura. They said, can you write a song about fighting? And uh, so I immediately thought of Lenny. <laughs> so we wrote this song, Born to Fight, and then recorded it. And the timing was perfect because the new album was almost finished. We had like one last song to go. So that was the song. And uh, of course, the video came out a couple weeks before the album did. So it's uh, the response has been real good. What are the plans for next year? Should things kind of get back to some normality? Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm hoping to do some shows again. We're uh, looking to do that. I think uh, now that we have vaccines coming out, hopefully things will calm down and we'll have uh, things back to normal a bit by next summer. Maybe that's optimistic, but uh, the sooner the better. (laughs) Well, Stan, thank you ever so much for your time. I appreciate it. I've loved chatting with you. Absolutely. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me. There just had to be an 80s fade out on that song, right? Just had to be. Wouldn't have been right not to. I love it. That was the song The 80s from the new Stan Bush album Dare to Dream, which is available now. And as Stan mentioned, the video features his son playing a younger version of himself, which you can check out on YouTube or through Stan's website at stanbush.com. Once again, you guys, thanks for all your support of the Straight to Video podcast. I promise I'll have a dedicated website go live early next year, along with some merchandise and a host of other cool ideas I've got in store. So I really appreciate all the listens and shares. I hope you guys all have a great Christmas and I'll speak to you all again real soon. Yeah.